0: Um, we're going to keep uh, going in our John series. We're jumping right back in. Um, this week we're in chapters 16 and 17. And just kind of a reminder of where we're at in the story of Jesus, um, we're we're kind of in the same moment that we've been in for the last couple weeks. So Jesus and, as in, and his disciples, they're together, they've shared this Passover meal. Judas just ran out the door to go organize his betrayal. And before Jesus goes to the cross, he has kind of this one final teaching moment with his disciples. And he's, he's using this moment to kind of get them ready to prepare them for his leaving, for his departure. And he's told them, hey, it's, it's my time. I'm going back to the Father. And here's how I want you to carry on while I'm gone. Like, things are gonna be a little bit different, but don't panic, like, don't freak out. Here's how you're gonna continue to walk with me when I'm not here. And kind of the, the overarching theme of this chunk of scripture, kind of from from chapter 14 to chapter 17 is this idea of of having unity with Christ, of being one with Christ. Um, Do you guys remember before break a couple weeks ago, um, Jordan was kind of freaking out. He was kind of losing his mind because Jesus said, I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Do you guys remember that moment? And then Jordan's head just kind of exploded and then all our heads were like, it's crazy. There's lots more of that this week. Like, there's plenty more, uh, and it's still confusing. Um, But Jesus is, he's really driving home the point that we're unified with God the Father through our faith in him. If we trust in Jesus as our Savior, then it becomes a fact about us that we have unity with God through Jesus, and he says, you, you can experience and you can enjoy that unity if you abide in my love. And he's kind of told us to, hey, keep walking with me, abide in my love. And in this text that we're looking at today, he's, he's going to kind of tell us some ways that he equips us, almost some like tools that he gives us to walk in that unity, some, some ways that we can abide in his love. So we're going to look at three of those things Um, that Jesus equips us with. We're going to see that he gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us a new structure of prayer. And he gives us an increasing understanding of the Father's love for us. And here's what's going to happen. I think as we look at what Jesus says about these three things, we're going to feel kind of a, a tension between what he said and what we really believe or like what we experience. And it's kind of that whole like expectations versus reality motif. Have you guys seen the movie uh, 500 Days of Summer? It's like, it's been out for like 10 years now, which makes me feel really old because it was popular in my sophomore year of college. Um, But we, I'm not going to dwell on that. It's fine. We're going to move on. Um, In that movie, there's this scene where the main character, he goes um, to this party that his ex-girlfriend is hosting and we are given this, like, split-screen view of this scenario. And on the left is what he expects to happen, like how he thinks things are going to play out. And on the right is how things actually play out. Like, he, he goes into it thinking that they're going to kind of, like, rekindle their relationship. It's going to be this, like, playful, romantic moment. But really, it turns out to be, like, a strained and awkward encounter. And he sees that she's moved on and we're given a side-by-side view of it so that we can like, see the incongruencies between his expectations and what really happens. And as we look at the text, I, I think we're gonna feel a similar disparity between what Jesus said and what we perceive or experience at times in our life. And that tension is, is maybe gonna leave us with a question, and that question is, is, is Jesus a liar? Like, what do we do with that tension? Is, is he just making stuff up to get the disciples to calm down about him leaving? Is he lying about the means and the implications of our unity with him? And if not, like, why, why do I feel this tension? Why aren't these two scenes of what Jesus says and what I experience, why aren't they lining up? So let's jump right in. We're going to look at the text. Let's look at the first resource that Jesus gives us to walk in unity with him. It's the Holy Spirit. So if you guys want to pull out your Bibles, read along with me. We're going to be uh, in John 16 to start out with. We're going to start in verse 7 and read through verse 15. Jesus here, he's, he's talking to the disciples and he's acknowledging their sorrow and their heartbreak and him leaving. And this is what he says to them. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Of Jordan being our pastor, being our salt director, you had Jesus. Now Jordan's a great dude. I love him. We're buds. He's a great friend, a great Bible teacher. But like we're talking about Jesus here, like he'd probably be pretty good at being a salt director. He'd probably be pretty awesome. And now imagine you came to Saul every Thursday, and you came here and you sat down, and Jesus was the one giving the sermon. And then afterwards, like, you were confused about something, you got some questions, you just come up front, you ask Jesus about it. Like, when you're confused and you have questions, or like, when, when you're having a hard time getting direction in your life, like, picking a career path, like, you could grab a cup of coffee with Jesus, go sit down, pick his brain, ask him for wisdom. When someone in your family got cancer and you're just overcome with grief, he could be there... To shepherd you through that trial. He could be there to to heal that person of cancer. So what Jesus is saying to you here in in verse 7 is that you're better off with the Holy Spirit living inside you, which you do have if you've put your faith in Jesus, than if he were here in this room leading salt company. Think about that. Do you believe that? Do you hear that and you're like, yeah, that's totally true. Like, I know uh, the Holy Spirit in me is better. Or do you hear that and you think like, "Mm, I don't know, man. Like, that seems like a pretty sweet setup. Like, having Jesus as a physical person here in my life, like, I I think that would be better. I know I feel that way. I feel that way so often. Like, Jesus as a human being is so much easier for me to relate to. Like, I, I know how to interact with a human being but like, but a non-physical spiritual entity is, is abstract. Like, that seems hard for me to engage with. It's, it's complicated. It's, it's kind of hard for me to get on board with. So to believe that what Jesus is saying is true, we have to make sure that we have a solid understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. To believe Jesus when he says, I'm leaving, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit, and that's gonna be better for you. We really, we really have to know who the Holy Spirit is. So we're gonna do it, we're gonna talk about the Holy Spirit. It's gonna get a little uh, confusing at times, maybe, because uh, it's just a confusing subject. And we're gonna talk about the Trinity, that's gonna get weird, so everybody buckle up, have some patience, here we go. So Jordan mentioned a couple weeks ago that the, the Holy Spirit is, is not an it, he's a he, He's not just like a, a power or a force. He's a person, and specifically, he's one of the three persons of the Trinity. And the Trinity, like I said, is super confusing. And we're not going to talk about the Trinity in depth because we like could be here for days. And at the end of it, we would all leave being like, ah, I still don't get it. Uh, what I don't, I don't get it. It's very confusing. Like how God exists as one being in three persons is is a mystery that i don't like fully understand so it would be a waste of my time to like try to get you to have a thorough understanding of it but if you read the bible three things are going to reveal themselves like three things are going to become abundantly clear first is that god is three persons father son and the holy spirit and they're distinct from each other and they have different roles in relation to how God interacts with the world. So that's the first thing, God is three persons. The second thing that you're gonna learn about the Trinity in the Bible is that each person is fully God. All of God's character and all of his attributes, they're fully present in each person of the Trinity. It's not like three parts that make up one whole, like each one is the whole in and of itself. Each person contains the whole. And the third thing that you're going to see, I said four, but hard, my hands are, there's a disconnect. Three, not four. You didn't notice it. I shouldn't address it. It's fine. The third thing is there's one God. The three persons of the Trinity are perfectly unified as one being. They're not just like unified in the sense that they Like agree with each other, but they they share the same essential nature. Like even though they're persons with distinct roles, they're somehow the same. They're made of the same stuff. Now that might not have really cleared up anything for you. It's still like, it's still super confusing. Like how does that work? But here's why we're like taking time to uh, to wade into the murky waters of trying to explain the Trinity. Here's what I I wanna make sure that we all understand, is that the Holy Spirit is God. Like the Holy Spirit is fully God. When Jesus tells the disciples he's going to leave, but when he does, he's gonna send the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is God is no longer going to be a person that lives around you. He's gonna be a person that lives inside you. And he's saying that's better not because the Holy Spirit is better. Remember Father, Son, Holy Spirit, distinct persons, but all fully God, all equal in their godness. It's he's the Holy Spirit isn't isn't greater, but it's it's a better setup because your access to God like just went through the roof. Like he's living in you. Salt company, if you've put your faith in Jesus for your salvation, Then God Himself in the person of the Holy Spirit is now living inside you. Do you catch that? God lives inside you. Like as God as Jesus was, the Holy Spirit is, and He's just chilling inside you. That's insane. That's madness. That's crazy. And with the Holy Spirit comes the full power of God living inside you, like helping you walk in obedience to Jesus. Jesus told us and he he showed us how we should live, but without him giving us the Holy Spirit, we're we're powerless to change ourselves, to be more like him. But Romans 8.11 tells us that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now dwelling in us, and he's going to give us life. And it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us that we can walk in obedience and experience that that unity with Christ. It's wild. It's nuts. All right, so let's move on to the second resource, the second thing that Jesus is going to give us to walk in unity, and that's a new structure of prayer. Um, So let's read. uh, We're going to start in verse 22 of chapter 16. He says, You have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take that joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer talk to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. So Jesus is saying that, like, once I've completed my work on the cross, you won't have to come find me to pray to the Father on your behalf. Like, I won't have to relay your message onto the Father. I won't have to, like, pass notes to Him in class. Like, the wall that used to be between you and God because of your sin is going to be gone. And if you pray in my name, you've got a direct line. Like, you're, you're talking straight to the big man himself. You pray in the name of Jesus, you're talking straight to God the Father. And I don't know if you guys have noticed, but, like, at, at Salt Company, um, when we pray, you probably hear us ending our prayers with the phrase, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And like this passage is why. This passage is the exact reason why we do that. Jesus gave us a new structure of prayer. We get to talk directly to God the Father through Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. We get to, our, we get to experience our unity with our Father and foster relationship with him by talking directly to him. That wasn't possible before, but the work of Jesus on the cross, He made it happen, and that's awesome. That's great news. So where does where does the tension come from? Let's look back at verse twenty three. Jesus says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in My name, He will give it to you." Have you guys noticed uh, that a lot of the times before Jesus says something like crazy, He goes out of his way to assure you that He's not lying. Like he'll be like, seriously guys, truly, truly, I tell you the truth when I say this. Like he didn't say it on accident. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So if, if that's true, then why is it that I don't need to, to make an illustration to help you guys see the tension in that statement? If that's true, then like, how's that going for you? Like, have you received everything that you've asked God for in the name of Jesus? So just a few moments later, a few moments after Jesus says these words, he and his disciples they're going to walk to the garden of Gethsemane. And in Matthew 26 and in Mark 14, we read that Jesus when he got there, he prayed, he prayed this prayer. He said, "Abba, Father, All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. He's talking about the cross. He's looking at the cross and he's like, man, God, if there's any other way, can we go that direction? But we know what happens. God didn't remove that cup from him. Jesus goes to the cross and the cup of God's wrath is poured out on him. So, so was his prayer somehow answered or did he just lie to his disciples and to himself? Let me read the rest of the prayer. That's in, it's in Mark 14, 36. Let me read it for you. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. God did give Jesus what he wanted. He did answer his prayer because what Jesus wanted more than anything was to do the will of the Father. Jesus was fully submitted to the Father's will. When we hear Jesus say, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. When we hear that, our minds immediately start racing with thoughts of like, okay, like what what can I get out of this, right? Right? The things that we think to ask for tend to be pretty self-serving. But when we become more like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, our desires begin to line up with his. And the things that we start asking for become things that fall perfectly within the will of the Father. And he's not going to withhold any of those things from us when we ask for them in Jesus' name. Okay, so, but what do we do when when we're not sure if something we ask for lines up with God's will? Like, do we only pray in, like, vague generalities? Like, is, is God let your will be done? Is that the only prayer that we're allowed to pray? Is that as specific as we're allowed to get? Like, no, that, that's not the case at all. And And to prove it, like, let's... Think about Jesus's prayer in the garden. Jesus knew that he was going to the cross because that had been the plan the whole time. Like we talked about the Trinity, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Father existing together. They've planned this together since before the world existed. Like that's always been the plan. Jesus knew there wasn't gonna be like a last minute change up in this plan to save humanity. So why does he ask for it? Like, why does he even bother? It seems weird, right? Like, he knew what was gonna happen. He knew the answer, and still he asks. Jesus prays that because he knows that prayer is about more than just getting what you ask for. It's about engaging in honest conversation, honest relationship with the Father. And in that moment, Jesus, he was just being honest with his dad, He was looking at the cup of God's wrath and saying, I know what's in there, and it's terrifying. Dad, if there's any other way for us to accomplish the salvation of the world, like, can we please go that route? And God wasn't upset that he asked. He grieved with him. He said, I know, son. I know it's hard, but it's the only way. God's main concern isn't that we pray for the exact right thing. He just wants us to come to him. He wants us to talk to him. He wants you to be real with him. He, wants, he knows your heart. Like it doesn't really do you any good to lie about what you want to God, right? Like he knows your heart. He knows what you want. And all he wants is for you to engage in just honest conversation with him tell him where you're at. Ask him to help you through that. He wants you to be honest. He wants you to have real relationship, and he wants to do that through prayer, and Jesus makes that possible. Jesus gives us that direct line to the Father in prayer. So think, if, if you've been following Jesus, like, think of one of the hardest like stretches or one of the greatest trials that you've experienced as a believer? Like think about that time. So when you're in the midst of that, did you you go to God in prayer and say like, hey God, this is fine. I'm fine with this. Like I don't mind this. We can keep rolling in this scenario. Or did you run to him and did you say like, God help me, Father help me. Get me out of this situation. Deliver me from this trial. And as you, as you continued to go to him with those things, what did you experience? Like, what did you feel? Sorrow? Yeah. Grief? Sure. Absolutely. But I'm, I'm willing to bet that you also experienced a, a pretty unique dependence and an intimacy with God in your prayer life. I'm willing to bet that that was a a pretty unique time for you in your prayer life. Jesus gives us a direct line to the Father through prayer so that we can experience unity and relationship with him. All right, let's keep moving on. Last point. So the third thing that Jesus equips us with to help us abide and experience the reality of our unity with him is an ever-increasing understanding of the Father's love for us. And we're gonna find this in chapter 17. Chapter 17 is really sweet. Chapter 17 is really cool. Um, it's what gets referred to as the high priestly prayer. Um, and Jesus has, has had this time of like informing and instructing the disciples, and then he lifts his eyes to heaven, and he just busts out in this incredible prayer. Have you guys ever been... Uh, in a room with some like really Christian-y people when somebody's praying out loud? You guys ever been there? You know what I'm talking about? When, when somebody's praying and they say something like really good and then people go, mm. you know what I'm talking about? It's like, mm, yes. It's kind of funny. It's not a bad thing. I do it. It's just like, you you know, you're just agreeing along with that person's prayer. But for some reason, it always comes out as mmm. Like you just had a spoonful of delicious soup. You're like, mmm, yes. Mm. That's good. That's good. So I I like to imagine in this moment, uh, I like to imagine that there's a a lot of that going on in the room in this moment because this prayer is awesome. And the disciples, they're, they're, you know, pretty Christian-y people. And I, I, like, I feel like the disciples should have just had this one, like, long mm, going the whole time, because this is a really good prayer. They'd just be like, mmm, mm, 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 mm. It's that good. We're not going to read the whole thing, but it's that good. You should go back and read it. And part of what's cool about this, like, Jesus, there's three parts to this prayer. Jesus prays for himself, and then he prays for the disciples, and he prays for us. And that's, like, it's really sweet. And the disciples should just be, like, nodding and agreeing along with this. Uh, but, like, from, from what we know about the disciples, uh, they were probably just kind of, like, whispering to each other, like, I don't get it. What's he talking about? The disciples weren't always, like, that quick to really understand what Jesus was saying. In their defense, they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet to help them understand. So we have a slight advantage in, like, 2,000 years of other people thinking about it and stuff, so... Um, I'm going to stop talking about that. So it's just like a moment that I just get a lot of joy out of thinking about. Mm, okay. <laughs> so part of the reason this prayer is awesome is because like Jesus, Jesus prays for us. Like he prays for you. He prays for himself, his disciples, and then he prays for the people that are going to come to know him through the disciples ministry, i.e. you and me. And it's Awesome. We're going to read that part. Um, if you guys want to flip there, it's in chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 20 and go to the end. This is Jesus' prayer for us. He says, I do not ask for these only, these only being the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, and that, uh, that they may also be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. I'm going to read that verse again. I and them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them as you loved me. Father, I desire also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these, these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Man, that's a mouthful. There's a lot of I and me's and you's, and it's kind of hard to follow, right? But the things that I want us to catch in there are when Jesus says, you sent me and loved them as you loved me. And right at the end, he says, I made I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. If you're in Christ, God the Father loves you the same way that he loves Jesus, which is like impossible to wrap our heads around. Because first off, Jesus is perfect He has no flaws. Like, there's nothing about Jesus not to love. And he's saying that that God loves us like that. He loves us like we're perfect, and there's nothing unlovable about us. And two, the second reason it's hard to believe is the fact that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they've existed eternally in perfect community. So the Father's love for the Son is infinite and eternal, It has no beginning. It has no end. I've already made it pretty clear that there's a lot about the Trinity that I don't understand. But before God created anything and all that existed was God, I imagine the three persons of the Trinity were just like standing around, kind of pointing at each other, just being like, yes, you guys. Mm, Perfect. I love you guys. Nothing wrong with you. It's just, yeah. Yeah. That's what I imagine they were doing, just delighting in their perfection and just being like, yeah. And Jesus is saying that, like, that is the love that the Father has for us. Like, he's saying that it's a, it's a fact that God the Father loves us like that. He's describing a spiritual reality that we live in. Okay, so I, I need a volunteer to demonstrate this. Haroon? You got me. You ready? All right. So, so all I need you to do, Harun, is like just walk from here. Just you can stay on the floor. You're good. You can. I just want you to like walk from here and just kind of like walk across the front here. Not too fast. Like leisurely pace. Let me get. I won't touch you. I promise. But let me get. Let me give you like a motivation. Like you're just like chilling. You're enjoying your day. You're just walking across campus, right? Okay, so, so this, this is the spiritual reality that you live in as you're going about your day walking across campus. Go for it. I'm God, this is Harun. He's going, yes, yes, this guy, I love him. He's awesome, that guy. Thank you, Harun. You can sit down. It's like that. Jesus is saying like, that is the reality that you live in. You might not be able to see it all the time, but like, that's what's going on. And so the, here's, here's where the tension is. Like, here's where we feel this tension. So when you, when you sin, how do you feel? Like, I bet, I bet you don't feel overcome with love from God, Right? You feel dirty. You feel unworthy. You feel unlovable. That's how you feel. So uh, Jordan's about to be a dad, like any second now could happen. Yeah. It's very exciting. Could happen just at any moment. And uh, I heard somebody ask him, like, like what he's most looking forward to about being a dad, Uh, like getting to raise a little dude, little Graham. Graham. He, hates, he hates when people go, ah about Graham. Let's get like one big, ah. I'm going to say Graham, and you're just going to go, oh, aw, Graham. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so somebody was asking him, like, what What are you looking forward to about, about being Graham's dad? And you know what he said? He said, I, I can't wait for him to mess up. He's like, I, I can't wait for him to, like, do something wrong for him to disobey so i can i can sit him down and i can look into his eyes and i can tell him i still love you like there's nothing you can do to make me love you less you're my son i'm always going to love you like that's what he's looking forward to and he's looking forward to that moment because that's the gospel guys that's what it is that's how it works When we put our faith in Jesus, we get wrapped up in him. Our life becomes hidden with Christ in God. We get adopted as the sons and the daughters of God. And in the midst of our failures and our shortcomings, those times that we mess up, we disobey, we fall short, God the Father, he's standing there and he's going, I still love you. You're still awesome. There's nothing you can do to change that. That's the reality. Like, that's what's going on. Because your life is hidden with Christ. God's love for you is is constant. It's immeasurable, and it's unchanging. And Jesus has committed to help us grow in our understanding of God's love for us. Like, he's he's revealing that reality to us by the Holy Spirit. More and more as we walk with him, he's, he's showing us, he's like, peeling back the facade of this reality to give us a glimpse at a greater spiritual reality in which God's perfect love is just pouring out on us. He's just being like, yes, you guys. Like, that's what Jesus is showing us. And when we see that love, we're, we're gonna cling to Jesus all the more. We'll choose to abide in him because it's, it's in Jesus that God's love for us and his satisfaction with us rests. We'll choose to abide. We'll choose to, to live in that unity with Jesus because we're found in him. And God is so pleased with us because of Jesus. What did you do to earn it? Nothing. You trusted that Jesus could save you from your sin. And now God delights in you through Jesus. That's incredible. Let's pray together that we would continue to see that love more and more. Father, thank you that you made a way for us to to talk to you, to have relationship with you. Thank you that you give us the Holy Spirit to equip us that your power is made available through the Holy Spirit because these things that we're, that we're trying to understand, these things that we read in the Bible that Jesus said, we're, we're there with the disciples when we're just like, I don't, I don't get it. These things are just going right over our heads. But by your Holy Spirit, you're, you're showing us that you're helping us to walk with you. And God, thank you for your unchanging love that you've made available through Jesus. And would you, would you speak that love into our hearts? God, in those times that we're walking along and we just feel unworthy, in those times that we, God, <laughs> prove our unworthiness by our sin, God, would you show us how Jesus has overcome that sin? And all you have for us now, because of that perfect work of Jesus, is love. You hate our sins so much that you sent Jesus to overcome it. And now that he has, and now that we can put our faith in him, all you have for us is love in Jesus. God, would would you increase our capacity to see that love? Holy Spirit, would you work in us? Would you speak into our hearts? Would you reveal the things that Jesus has When Jesus says, all that the Father has, he has given me, and the Holy Spirit is telling you about those things, Holy Spirit, would you grant us a greater understanding? And Jesus, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.